0: good morning everyone i have a couple announcements before we get started i think a lot of people are sick today by the looks of it i know my family is home sick so uh i got one that's sick for sure i got one that's probably playing hooky and uh yeah so mom is heather's in between all that but it'll be all right hey if you guys are watching wherever you're at uh, next week we're starting a new Bible study that is going, it's called something, what's it called? The Art of Marriage, and it's about marriage, and it's a video study, and the videos unfortunately are a little bit lengthy. I think they're 25 minutes long, but I've watched the first one, and it's really good. It's, uh, it's from Right Now Media, and it's the same, the same producer of the videos that we've been watching, and actually Derwin Gray is uh, kind of in charge of that. So if you are not coming to Wednesday nights, this would be a good time to start especially if you're a married person. And at the end of that series, I'm going to try to have a a special event here at the church called Date Night In, where married couples come and we have a meal and we play a game of, what's that game called? Somebody tell me. Newlywed game. That's we're going to play the newlywed game and we're all going to laugh and we're all going to make fun of each other probably because we don't know as much about each other as we probably think. But Uh, we did that at the old church and I'm, I'm, I'm trying the best I can to bring that host up here because he's really funny and he kind of, he kind of makes it worthwhile. So, uh, if, and and you can come to that even if you don't come to the Wednesday nights, but I will have uh, more details about that later. And I wanted to make a joke about Lake Junaluska. Who the heck picked Junaluska? I think you women picked that so that you could go there and say that you didn't have service. And us men won't know how to spell Junaluska or say it right. And we won't be able to find you for two or three days. And some t- part of marriage is we need a break from each other every now and then. So that's okay. Junaluska. Us men, if we go to a lake, we won't go, we'll go to somewhere we know how to pronounce. We might go to Cumberland. We all know how to pronounce that. So we've made it. This is the 13th week of the Sermon on the Mount study series. And I think we've had a few uh, other sermons sprinkled in there for special uh, weekends and, stu- and such. But 13 weeks we've spent on the Sermon, sermon on the Mount And Jesus taught His disciples many things in this sermon. And not only were the people of that time His disciples, we are His disciples. So Jesus has taught us well over the last 12 weeks. In chapter 5, He gave us the Beatitudes. Remember, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He taught us about salt and light. We need to be salt to this decaying world and light to a dark place. He taught us about anger, and He told us that we can commit murder in our hearts by hating someone. He taught us about adultery, which isn't fun to talk about in the church, but the Bible talks about it, so we talk about it. He said that we can commit adultery in our hearts by lusting after people. He taught us about divorce and what the biblical grounds for divorce were. He taught us about revenge and told us that we should always be able to turn the other cheek He taught us how to love and to pray for our enemies, all of that in chapter 5. In chapter 6, He taught us about giving to the needy and that we shouldn't let our left hand know what our right hand is doing, which means that we shouldn't have an inflated ego when we do things for other people. He taught us how to pray and fast, and He told us that we shouldn't uh, do these things so that we can look religious like the Pharisees did. He gave us the Lord's Prayer as an example to prayer. He taught us about money and possessions and pleaded with us not to lay up our treasures here on this earth, but to lay up our treasures in heaven instead. In chapter 7, He taught us that we should not judge non-believers because they are lost, but we should hold other believers accountable for their actions. He taught us how to pray effectively by continually asking Him for our needs within His will. He taught us to treat others as we would like to be treated, He told us that the path to righteousness is narrow and the gate to destruction is very, very wide, and many people will go through that. He told us that false prophets were out to get us like a wolf in sheep's clothing, and He told us that not everyone who claimed to be following Him was truly following Him. And on the day of judgment He would say to them that He did not know them, and that is very scary. But today, at the conclusion of chapter 7 and the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he gives us an illustration of building our house on solid rock. And this comes from Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 29. Everyone then who enter, oh sorry, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And that is the end of chapter 7, and that is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And the very next thing Jesus does in chapter 8 is goes and heals someone. And I was going to read that, but I decided not to at the last minute. So as we think about foundation, Jesus is the solid rock on which we stand for our faith. Think about how deep is your foundation? Does your, does your foundation just cut into the grass? Does your foundation cut into the topsoil? Does your foundation get down to the hard clay? Or does your foundation, is it grounded and founded on the solid rock that is Jesus Christ Himself? Because it's easy for us, as we sit in this church, it's easy for us to all look the same. We all We're all here. We're all present. Um, and we're claiming that we know and follow Jesus, but what happens when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow? That's when that's when we get to see each other for who we for where our foundation is. If our if we're just surface level and things get shaky, next thing you know, we're we're running. We're running to something something different. This Jesus didn't work for me. I'm out. Well, that's not that's not how Jesus. Desi- desires for us to live. So, do we sink in the sand or do we stand on the rock? What happens in your life when somebody upsets you? What happens in your life when somebody you trust betrays you? What happens in your life when somebody you love leaves you? What happens in your life when a child goes astray? And what happens in your life when illness comes? Well, if we are founded on the rock that is Jesus Christ, these things should not crush us. These things will maybe shake us a little bit, but if we're we're standing on solid ground, these things will not destroy us. They should not and will not destroy us. So what Jesus is warning us against in the closing of his sermon is that we shouldn't just verbally express that we are following Jesus. We can all hear the message of the gospel. We can all hear the message of the gospel and verbally claim that we are following Christ, but are we being obedient to what he tells us to do? Simply saying that we are following Christ doesn't mean that we are seeking to obey Him. Obedience comes from our obedience and our faith in Christ comes from the Word of God. So if we're not being obedient to the Word of God and what it tells us to do and how to live our life, we're on we're standing on shaky ground. These life storms, sickness, mistrust, a child gone astray, often reveal whether or not our foundation is firm. Now remember from the sermon, this world is rotten and dark and this is why Jesus has called us, His followers, we are His followers if, if we believe, He's called us to be salt and light. Salt and light is different than rotten or dark. Rotten and dark is the way of the wide and easy gate and salt and light is the way of the narrow and difficult gate. We can't, take, we can't let life storms shake us from our foundation. And the way I look at it, we have in this world, we have a couple of options. We can put our faith in nothing, which we see people do. We can put our faith in mistruths that the world offers, you know, health and wellness. And if you take care of yourself, you'll be all right. And if you work hard, you'll get all the things you want. Those are, those are lies from the world. We can be religious like the Pharisees, which we see happen also, or we can have true faith in Jesus Christ and stand firmly on the rock-solid foundation that He has set before us. So, salt or decay, light or dark, narrow or broad, rock or sand. This entire sermon, Jesus has contrasted, contrasted. Is it contrasted, contrasted? Lake Junaluska? I don't know. This entire sermon, Jesus has contrasted good versus bad, light, dark, salt, rot, rock, rock, sand. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the crowd was amazed with Jesus because they could see that He was authoritative. Well, what told them that, that Jesus was authoritative? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, which we studied would have been about eight weeks ago, I guess, Jesus said that He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, He came to fulfill them. It's easy to hear that bit of information and kind of just let it float over your head, but He said He didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, He came to fulfill them. What does that mean? And as I was thinking about what it means, I know what it means, but as I was studying deeper about what it meant, I thought, I, I ran across this uh, resource that shows Old Testament prophecies and then puts the fulfillment next to it. And I put that in your bulletin, and I think Ann, what are those little things called? Anne cleverly put a QR code in there for you all. And I didn't test it, but I assume that it works. But if not, there's a hyperlink, and there's 55 prophecies and 55 fulfillments in that um, in that resource, and I've chosen 11 of them just to go over quickly. And uh, it's just we don't often, unless you have a resource in front of you. Well, your your notes would your notes would direct you in your Bible where to go. But if it's spoken in the Old Testament and it's fulfilled in the New Testament, most likely at the bottom of your study Bible, it'll show you where it comes from. But but this resource compares the two. It shows the prophecy and it shows where it was f- fulfilled in the New Testament. So the first one is that the nations will be blessed through Abraham's lineage. And we're talking about this as we think about the very last verse of uh, chapter 7. And Jesus, fin- when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one who had authority. So this whole time that we're going over these prophecy and fulfillment, think about Jesus being authoritative. I'm telling you these prophecies and fulfillments to show you why Jesus had authority and why the crowd was amazed that he had that he had this authority. Th- these prophecy and fulfillment should answer the authority of Jesus. So the first one is the nations will be blessed through Abraham's lineage. The prophecy is this from the book of Genesis. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the fulfillment, which comes in the book of Acts, says, And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up His servant, He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The second one is, A virgin will give birth, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The prophecy from the book of Isaiah says this, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call himself Emmanuel. And the fulfillment is this from the book of Luke. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Number three is this, Christ's ministry will destroy the devil's work. And the prophecy from Genesis says, And I will put in enmity, I struggle with that word, enmity, Lake Junaluska. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And the fulfillment from First John says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Number four says this, Jesus would be despised and rejected. The prophecy from Isaiah says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And the fulfillment from the book of Luke says, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. Number five is the Messiah's blood will be spilled for atonement. And remember, this resource that's in your uh, bulletin has 55 prophecies, so I'm not going to read all 55. But this is not supposed to be a time of boredom. This is supposed to be a time of uh, enlightenment on why Jesus was authoritative. So number five. The Messiah's blood will be spilled for atonement. The prophecy from Leviticus, I'm sure we've all spent a whole lot of time in Leviticus, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. And the fulfillment is this from the book of Matthew. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Number six, the Messiah would be forsaken. From the book of Psalms, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And the fulfillment is this from the book of Matthew. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lima, Sabachthani. I had to practice that one. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Number seven says, they would pierce Christ's hands and feet. The prophecy is this from Psalms Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me, they pierce my hands and feet. And the fulfillment from the book of John is These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken, and as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Number eight, they would cast lots for Jesus' clothing. And casting lots is sort of like rolling dice. They're kind of gambling for Jesus' clothing. We're Baptists, we can't gamble, but they were casting lots. The prophecy is this from Psalm chapter 22, "...they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And the fulfillment from the book of John says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another, Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. I hope we're starting to understand that Jesus is the final authority. We see all these things in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. We've got a few more. Number nine, the Messiah will cry, into your hands I commit my spirit. The prophecy from Psalm says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. I think I said command and I meant to say commit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And the fulfillment from the book of Luke is Jesus called out with a loud voice Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. Number 10, the Messiah's resurrection predicted from the book of Psalms I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done, but the Lord has chastened me severely but He has not given me over to death. And the fulfillment in Luke is in their fright. The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, He has risen. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And the final one that I chose, out was, that I chose was, The Messiah will pour out His Spirit. From the book of Isaiah, the prophecy says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land, and streams on the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, and my blessings on your descendants. And John chapter sixteen, verse seven, is the fulfillment that says, But very truly I tell you, it is good it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So All of that was to say that Jesus was authoritative in His speaking because He is the authority. He was the authority. He was the plan from the very beginning. If we go back to Genesis, we see Jesus. If we go back to Isaiah, we see Jesus. If we're in the Psalms, we see Jesus. And then Jesus goes to the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, delivers the message from chapter 5 to 7 to His disciples as the fulfillment to the law and the prophets which is it's just exciting all that time goes by and the israelites are just lost as lost can be and they're trying to do these things and they're getting frustrated and finally god says let me send my son i've been telling you this whole time i was sending him and here he is and he and he sat in front of them that day could you imagine having been sitting there listening to him talking and just to just to feel that presence. There's times in our lives where we really feel the Holy Spirit moving. We really feel the presence of God. But could you imagine sitting in front of Jesus and listening listening to Him teach? When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For He was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So He had authority because He was and is the final authority. And He always has been. And this is why the people were amazed with Him. And that's why I'm amazed with Him. And I hope that you all share that amazement with me. And just studying these fulfillment, or these prophecies and fulfillments, it's been a good reminder of the importance of the Old Testament. We don't, I don't gravitate towards the Old Testament. The New Testament's easy to read. It's easier to read. We see Jesus. Uh, we see uh, the time they're living in is more relatable to the time that we're living in. And you go back to the Old Testament stuff, and it seems sort of uh, different. But all of that stuff was important. And we see that all of these prophecies and promises were fulfilled in Jesus, the coming Messiah. And the Bible was written by 40 authors on three continents over a 2,000-year period of time with perfect consistency in its message that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was ordained by the Father and it all counted for us which is just amazing. You think about that. Forty authors, three continents, 2,000-year period of time, all these Old Testament prophecies. People actually lived through that. People were there the day that Jesus spoke, and we're still here today talking about it. And, and, and many of us have dedicated our lives to the teachings of Jesus, and that's what He wants for our lives. Nothing else in this life is as pure as the almighty God that we serve. Nothing else in this life comes close to the promises of God. And it's easy for me to sit here and say that, but we all go through really hard times. And that's where the church, the biblical church comes together, walks alongside each other, continually points each other to Jesus. And that's going to be our next series is the biblical church. What does a biblical church look like? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What do we need to do? Um, what what has the church done in the past that was wrong? And we're gonna we're gonna dive into that stuff. But we the church are here to serve the Almighty God, the God from Isaiah, the God from Genesis, the God from Psalms, the God who spoke on the mountaintop to his disciples and told them all this. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven will be theirs. We are disciples of Christ. And We, we've got to live it out. We've, we 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 were talking this morning uh, about a lot of things that are going on in this country, and I don't, and, and, and in the world. And this world is dying. This world is, it's a bad, bad place. We see this in scripture. We see that God tells us, don't live for this broken, crooked, depraved world. And we oftentimes sit around scratching our head, thinking, how can we fix all this? I'm not sure that we can, or even should try. I think we should live first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these other things will take care of themselves in His timing, not our timing. There's not a whole lot we can do about it, I don't think. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't... Uh, we've we got to love people well the best that we can through all the things that are going on in the world, but we've have, we have just got to focus on living for the things of God and doing what He tells us to do. And, and I'm grateful for this time spent in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm grateful that... Um, You all have been so graceful with me during this first six or seven or eight months. I keep saying seven months, like time's not going on. I don't know what month we're on now, but uh, I'm hoping that the empty seats are from sickness and not my preaching. I hope everybody heals up soon though, but I'm just grateful for this church. I'm grateful that I've been given this opportunity. James said that Dale drugged him here many years ago and uh, Dale drugged me here too, but I came willingly. So I don't, (laughs) I don't guess it was too much of a dragging but uh I'm just glad to be here and I'm and I'm glad uh that I get to to build relationships with you guys and I'm glad that uh I'm just really glad to it's taken me a long I'm getting I'm getting all sidetracked from the sermon on the mount but sometimes I just want to talk and, and and um I'm just glad that I went through a long season of my life that I didn't I had no no real clarity where I needed to be, and I really just had to surrender my desires. You know, I know things that I wanted to do with my life, uh, but every time I tried to force something like that, it it just gave me more trouble. And now that I'm here, is everything going perfectly? No, and it never will. But I I feel that God has led me here, and I'm I'm very glad to be here. And you all have been so loving and and welcoming and. And we've dealt with uh, two straight weeks of funerals here, and that is not easy. And I just appreciate Charles alls grace so much. And uh, I see, th- I see that you all are the body of Christ in the way that you treat me. And uh, and I hope that you're able to see the same through me. I'm getting off. I'm getting off topic. I just. Well, thank you, Barb. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It's hard to sit up here and talk to myself. I'm, not, I'm talking to you all, but I, I'm a, I'm an interactive guy. I want to. I want to have conversations. I see you all. I'm like, what's Mark thinking right now? Mark, say something. You know, and just uh, maybe one Sunday we'll just talk to each other. Uh, but Jesus is our rock solid foundation. That's the. That's the closeout of. Uh, I really struggled. I struggled quite mightily with with this one, just to kind of finish it up, Finish it up. But Jesus is the rock solid foundation. The illustration that he gives, we don't need to build our houses on sand. Sand gets wet. Our foundation will crumble, move. Uh, We need to build our foundation on the solid rock that is Jesus. So if you're not doing that, if you haven't done that, it's not too late to start. I see some gray hair in here. I see some bald heads in here. I wasn't going to have any Bobby jokes, but I just made one. Bobby Bobby was pretty hard on me this morning, so he loves me. I can tell. But anyways, (laughs) it's not too late to start, and we're not going to be perfect. The perfection comes at the day of judgment, when we get to meet Jesus face-to-face, just like John Scott did, just like Mary Sue just did. One day, if we follow Jesus, we get to meet Him face-to-face. Until then, we've got to do our best to follow Him the way that the Bible commands, the way that God's Word commands, the way that Jesus commanded the disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what we need to be doing today. So... If you're not following Jesus, start today. Come forward. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's go to lunch one day this week. Let's go to wherever wherever we need to go for you to dig deeper and ask questions and uh, build a relationship with other believers here. Whatever needs to happen, let's let's respond uh, any way we can right now. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this church. Uh, it's a, there's grace-filled people here, and I need that because I'm an inexperienced person preacher, pastor, man. I am just one man and I'm only capable of so much. And getting up here week after week is a great blessing, but it's also not the easiest thing to do. And I am just, I'm very humbled that you've put me in this position to be able to do this and that you've given me the health to get up here, uh, that I'm able to, to stand and preach and teach and more than anything, I'm grateful that I'm just, I'm able to build genuine relationships with the folks here. That uh, I really f- I feel their love, and I hope uh, sometimes I'm not the greatest at showing my love and appreciation, but I hope that it's um, I hope that it's felt. I hope that it's felt on their end as well. So. Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that uh, they would begin to take that relationship with you very seriously because it is the solid rock on which we stand and anything else is just blue river mud. It's just a knee deep, stinky mess. So Lord, I just pray that we all do whatever we have to do to build our foundation on the rock that is your name. Even if that means that we have to humble ourselves and confess areas of sin in our life that we're struggling with. Uh, a lot of times getting honest about how wretched we are is the best thing that we can do. Your word says, blessed is the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit means when we know that we are wretched and we need you, That's you've got us right where you want us. So I just pray that if somebody in this room is is feeling down and out, that uh, that today is the day that they begin to follow you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.